Welcome to another episode of No Plan Views with your hosts, Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. And we are coming to you here on Thursday, October 27th. And New York sports are are really in the swing of things right now. We're not going to dive into it, but the New York baseball scene is completely dead. And now that allows everyone to really focus on what, what we dive into in our bread and butter, which is New York football and the New York basketball landscape. And boy, did those four teams, the Jets, Giants, Knicks, and Nets, give us a lot dive into here in this past week since we last spoke to you guys so we'll start it out with i mean both new york football teams similar this week it was ugly gritty wins that in the process both teams lost a couple of key contributors but i think the team that almost undeniably lost the most when it comes to the injury front was the new york jets and you go out there you go to denver there's another situation the jets historically have had a lot of trouble playing in denver however the Broncos are without Russell Wilson this past week. Now, whether you want to take that as a good or bad thing, that could honestly be up for interpretation at this point. But they go to Denver without Russell Wilson. They pull out a 16-9 win. This was a win that was anchored by the defense. And that started out being anchored by the run game. But unfortunately, in route to the Jets securing their fourth straight win, something that would have just seemed unimaginable that at any point in the year, the Jets would win four in a row, especially early in this season when if we were doing a preseason win-loss week by week, I mean, the early part of the schedule was what really looked daunting. The Jets lost their standout rookie running back, Brees Hall. And that is is just such a, a detrimental blow to this team because you go out there and you trade up for Brees in the early second round this past year, and that pick took a lot of flack. You're the Jets. The, the You should not be going out and and giving up assets to go move up for a for what people call a luxury position. The running back is typically a position that you attack when it's like your last piece to winning, like we saw the Kansas City Chiefs go get Clyde Edwards-Aware, the Pittsburgh Steelers get Najee Harris. Those are luxury picks for teams that had a lot of the other stuff figured out. And reasonably, no one thought the Jets were in a similar position, not comparing the Jets to any of those those teams. But the, the Jets, even I could acknowledge, going up and getting a guy like Brees Hall, I didn't think it would make the impact that going and attacking a more premier position would. But nonetheless, Brees has been an absolute game changer for this Jets team. He has given the Jets a legitimate legitimate run game he has been a weapon both on the ground and in the past game and he has had some of those just game wrecking runs that we've seen I mean just in this game in the game he went down he broke off a 50 yard a 50 plus yard touchdown run it, it just goes to show how at any given moment Brees had the ability to totally change the outlook of the game and this was a game where the Jets really had a lot of trouble getting any offense going and that Brees run was one of the few times they're able to actually Get, get the ball downfield. They were having a really hard time putting together drives. And it's in those cases when you're going up against a really good defense like the Broncos on the road that having the boom, big play potential of a Brees Hall, it's it's going to be it's going to be sorely missed. The Jets acted fast, though. They understand that this is a Jets team that's probably riding high. They're playing good football. There's a fan base that's probably riding as high as they have in, in the past decade. So they act fast. They strike a deal with the Jacksonville Jaguars for James Robinson. They part with a conditional sixth that, depending on J-Rob's production, would turn into a fifth. This is a move I'm a big fan. Did we go out there? This market was really broke down into three tiers. There was the high end, which is the Kareem Hunts, the guys you're going to actually have to give up some decent capital for. There's the low ends, which is another Browns running back. I figured a guy like the Ernest Johnson, a guy that we've seen in limited capacity but has shown some upside. I think the Jets went right in the middle. James Robinson is a guy that, as we saw, cost not too serious draft capital, but has had 
some proven he's proven that at least in some capacity we saw it last year he could actually be a bell cow that just could take most of the touches on the ground and i think what we'll see is essentially a split here with michael carter where michael carter takes most of the pass work and james robinson handles a lot of the groundwork and that's something i'm totally fine with j rob becomes a restricted free agent next year so assuming everything's on the up and up with Brees, you could just move forward with exactly what you thought you had which is Brees hall where obviously he's recovering from an acl injury and that's serious we saw just how that affected a guy in town in saquon barkley there's going to be some short-term and long-term ramifications of an ACL tear for Brees. But assuming that recovery is looking good, you go right back with what you had with Brees and Michael Carter next year. But for this year, I like the plug of James Robinson. He's going to do what you got to do. He's going to be, a t- he's a top runner. He has that occasional big play potential. And I think all things considered for what was such a, a, a disastrous outcome for one of the Jets' best up-and-coming young players, they acted fast. They proved to the team that they're confident in them. They proved to the fan base that they're confident in this team. And all things considered, you if you got to look at it, that's a fourth straight win in a row, and you're going into here with a statement matchup against one your arch rival of the past decade, the New England Patriots, and and you got to go in there and try to strike here. Well, I think this is a big moment in the Jets' season. Obviously, you know you win four in a row, and now you look for five against you said it, the arch rival Patriots. But yeah, losing Brees Hall's hard. Um, now the Jets' front office could have looked at this in two ways. You could have said, you know what, we trust Michael Carter enough. You know, we'll be fine. Or they went out and acted, and and that's exactly what they should have done. They did it, um, and, and you mentioned the the cream of the crop guys like Kareem Hunt. I, I think the goal for the Jets was finding a guy who you know could fit the room very well, and Kareem Hunt just does not fit the mold of what the Jets are trying to do here. Um, I think Robinson does. You know, he said it in his his presser after one of the practices. He, this is a motivated guy. He was expected he was expecting to play Sunday, and he didn't for the Jags. So, you know, he moves, gets a clean slate for him with a team that's up and coming. Um, I, I think it's good. And Michael Carter, you know, look, he had a great season last year. So I don't see why people should be doubting this Jets running game at all. I mean, Michael Carter, I think, should really just take off where he did from last year. And he's had a good year so far. But that dynamic duo in the backfield is definitely going to be missed. But I think you found a good plug in J-Rob. And now you go into New England. And you are minus Brees Hall, but, you know, here's an opportunity for the Jets to really make their big statement of the season. You know, they've won four in a row, but there hasn't been, aside from the Green Bay game, I would like to see them get another big statement win, and it would be huge to do it against your division rival. And and J-Rob, he's going to be motivated. He he had a great season last year, and he ended up being ousted by former first-round pick Travis Etienne. And this is a guy that's coming up on a free agent year. And he's been put into an opportunity here where he's going to actually get some legit workload to, to raise his stock once again before his free agency. The motivation is there. And and they asked him, this is this is crazy to just even think about. They asked James, how does it feel going from a team like Jacksonville that's been losing games to the Jets who are in the thick of a playoff race? And to think players are getting traded to the Jets with the mindset, wow, like, with, like this is where the winning football is. That is a foreign concept in Jetland. Like, what a, what a just crazy thing to say out loud. But... James Robinson's going to come in here and have an actual chance to establish himself once again after we, we saw what happened in Jacksonville. And I think that little extra step, that that motivation, getting into a more winning situation and being able to show again why you were a successful starting running back in the NFL makes him a great fit. Now, unfortunately for the Jets, Brees Hall was not the only significant loss to this offense. Elijah Vera Tucker, the second year, I mean, obviously we're used to him playing on the inside, but he's moved all over this offensive line. He's played four of the five offensive line positions this year, showing such immense versatility is giving the Jets such, such value in a year where we've seen offensive linemen after offensive linemen go down. I mean, it's a, 
it's an it's a non-ending rotation. It's a never-ending rotation, should I say? It starts with Makai Becton and George Fant and Max Mitchell and Dwayne Brown and now Ajver Tucker. When does it end? I mean, Hall and Vera Tucker. I don't think it's an exaggeration whatsoever to say those are your two best offensive players. And you lose Vera Tucker now. And reports came out today that Joe Douglas is looking to attack the offensive line in the trade market as well. They are really looking to keep bolstering this team after losing. Like I said, they're they're two most impactful offensive players. So. Vera Tucker is another loss that's going to seriously sting, especially with the Jets so thin on the offensive line. But where, the, the real question is, where does these injuries leave you? What is, How are the Jets going to have to adapt to the new hand they're dealt? I think it's pretty clear, and I think it all comes on one guy, and it's obviously Zach Wilson. This we, we, We've given Zach the pass of he's, he hasn't really got a lot of reps, and he's rusty coming off injuries, and they're so relying on the run game. Well, now he's got a good amount of starts under his belt. The run game that was once so dominant is not so dominant anymore. It is absolutely the time to take the training wheels off Zach and let this guy rip. This was your number two overall pick. This team is winning. They're going to need someone to pick up for the production that has been lost in this past week. And if the Jets are going to do anything this year, it's going to have to be Zach. He's going to have to just... he. The Jets are going to have to fully entrust him to do what they originally envisioned when they surrounded him with... 10th overall pick, Garrett Wilson. And second round pick, Elijah Moore, who looks things. The last time we talked, he requested a trade. It seems that things have settled down a little bit and the Jets are trying to reintegrate him into the offense. And this is why they got the two tight ends. They wanted to give him enough pass catchers that he could go out and swing the football. And if he could not make the Jets a legitimate, I mean, potent's a strong word, but a formidable passing attack moving forward, that is when you're really going to feel the ramifications of Brees. And, and and that's really what this is going to come down for the two for the Jets. It's it's really a perfect opportunity for Zach to show all the doubters why he should be entrusted to be the franchise quarterback for the, for the Jets because now they need him. Before he was able to get by and just play sort of mistake-free football and get through the game and the Jets could pull out wins through their defense and run game. But now without Zach, they won't be able to get that done anymore. It's make or break time for Zach Wilson. This thing at this point is going to go as far as he goes. Your, your thoughts on that? Oh, 100%. I mean, you're, you're totally right. The Jets' offense has to really lean one way or the other. They still have a really good running game, in my opinion. But now that you're thin on the O-line, you know, I think Zach Wilson needs to show what he can do, not only slinging the football, but on his legs, which I think he's done a good job this year. Um, so, yeah, he's got the capital at wide receiver to throw the football to. It's just a matter of, you know, can he stay mature in a pocket that seems like it's going to be getting thinner now just because of how thin the offensive line's going to get. But, you know, it's a big statement time for Zach Wilson for sure. But I think, you know, supplements are going to come because Joe Douglas, you know, saying that he's going to attack the offensive line in the trade market, I think I think it's huge. It's something, like you said, is foreign and jet lands. Not only to go out but say that, you know, we're going to win football games, but go out and try and get, you know, a real huge piece to try, to try and help out this Jets team, uh, I think is huge. It's going to be big for Zach. It's just a matter of it, can he do it. So I think, you know, we've seen it, you know, in year one and this year, little spurts of maturity from Zach Wilson, but now he's really got to put those spurts all together because now's the time where he really needs to be that key figure of the offense rather than just handing the ball off to Brees Hall all the time. Uh, absolutely. And I don't want to go through a whole Jets conversation without at least discussing the defense. And, with that, when when you think of New York Jets defense, I mean, who else comes to mind other than Sauce Gardner? I mean, is this guy not everything the Jets have dreamed of and then more? I mean, he is just, he is doing something special out there. He is putting himself in a class 
with the other great young cornerbacks in this game, like Patrick Sertan, who the Jets got a good dose of in this game. I mean, Sauce goes out there this week. He wins uh, Defensive Player of the Week. He has eight solo tackles. He had the game-winning pass breakup in the end zone on Cortland Sutton. And it was just, I mean, chills ran down my spine on the call when he goes in and breaks up that play in the end zone to save the game for the Jets. Lost in the sauce. And we heard earlier in the game with, with Brees Lightning, like, notable young Jets getting these these signature calls and signature moments with these nicknames. Like, it's it's just different. You don't have that around here often. And, and sauce is just, man. I mean, him and DJ Reed are truly, I mean, you, you start thinking about it, like, how many cornerback duos in the league would you rather have than these two at this point? Sauce is your just your perfect tactician corner that's just absolutely glued to you at all times. And has just a niche, a good itch for the ball, for the big play. And DJ Reed's just an absolute dog. Like he's he's the guy that's just in your grill. He he might not stick to you like all the time, but when when comes when push comes to shove and he needs to go in there and make the play, he will. And those two have just been such anchors of the secondary. And just I I can't sing the praises of Sauce enough because it's such a young age to come on and take on. You saw it week one. Like, when you see it right out of the gate with those guys, that's when you know you got the good ones. And I think it's – he's a guy that I think is starting to gain a lot of national recognition. This is I don't think Sauce is a, a, a buildup of the Jets' imaginations to, as this dynamic, game-changing corner. I think he's getting his due diligence in the national media as well, and I think that speaks a lot because cornerback is a position where there are there are already those name guys, those the Jalen Ramsey, the Trayvon Diggs. And for Sauce – in seven games in his rookie year to come in and, and seemingly make his way into that conversation says a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to bring this up because you kept mentioning all the national coverage. When's the last time the Jets fan base really had a player or, or even the NFL had a player that's on this Jets team to really just market for? Yeah. I mean, well, when's the last time you had a marketable guy? Fitzmagic doesn't count. The return of Darrell Revis didn't count. It's It's been a long time. Mark probably Sanchez Rebus was a couple Island. Of years. Probably yeah, young Rebus Darrell Island. Rebus. Young Darrell was probably the last time you had a marketable player like that. Now you have Sauce and you have Brees Hall. It all started with this ice cream kid. And, and, the and man. I mean, that's all over the place. It's great. It's fantastic. I hope he's eating all the ice cream he can get because, look, I mean, Sauce has been fun to watch. And I don't say that a lot. And I said on the last podcast, I am not a big, not, not a big football guy, but. Watching Sauce Gardner play defense in the New York Jets is a fun watch. It, it really is. And you mentioned it, that play at the end of the game, knocking that pass away in the end zone. It's just a, the perfect definition of what Sauce Gardner is. I mean, he's already making big plays seven games into his NFL career. I mean, when's the last time that's happened out of a Jets cornerback? Yeah, and he's taking on the, the top guys on the other teams, and he's they, they're getting lost in the sauce. Simply put, I love it. What a great mention there with Johnny. This kid, when when they when they sent him the Jets media day, and he asked Sauce Gardner, "Am I gonna I I get ice cream after Jets wins? Am I gonna get a lot of ice cream?" And Sauce said, "Yes." There had to be a little part in the back of Sauce's head that was thinking, "My boy's not getting a lot of ice cream," and he is. I mean, he's gonna have to go on a Weight Watchers plan the way this Jets season's going. It's it's every week with the ice cream. I love this kid. He's it's, he's, he's changed everything. It's one of those things where at the beginning you're like, "This is gonna be the biggest meme of the season," but now it's just it's reality and it's worked. It's, it's, it's a meme in a good way. There, people are yeah. making people are photoshopping Johnny, but with like ten times the size of his face because he's getting so big from all the ice cream. It's fantastic. Oh, he's he's hope, becoming a part of this. It's great. I hope someone's checking his weekly blood sugar because this is <laughs> this is something else. Good for him. Good for no, Johnny and good for the Jets. It's fun. Just, just the Jets are flooded with good stories and good vibes. And and it's going to be put to the test this week because as good as this season's gone, 
five and two, you couldn't have asked for it in your wildest dreams. There's something to be said about the, I know they're not this anymore, but it's still the Bill Belichick, New England Patriots walking into your building. I want not only is a win here important because let's be, let's be honest. We saw the little quarterback controversy last year between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. This is a team that's, that has really had no somewhat, no semblance of consistency this year, nor do they have the, the, the high end talent that the Jets do. They're, they're mentioning this today, how last year when the Pats had a very good squad and the Jets were a bottom feeder, the Patriots laid it on the Jets. When the game was dead and they just kept piling on, piling on, embarrassing the Jets. And Jeff Oberk actually brought that up. They remember this. This whole Robert Sala receipts type mantra, it seems that it's just it's it's taken its way over the, the locker room. And when you disrespect this organization, there's there's going to be hell to pay. And I hope they do it tomorrow. I hope they do it on Sunday. Excuse me. I want a win over these Patriots, and I'd love to do it in just uh, dramatic fashion. Let, make them feel the way you felt last season. That that That's what I'm thinking here. Yeah, hungry game. You know, I've said it a lot of times about the Giants this year. If you're in the area, like, if you have access to MetLife Stadium and you're a Jets fan, you better be there. Like, that is a game where that building needs to be rocking. And you never know with Bill Belichick's New England Patriots, even though it's Bailey Zappi's Patriots or Mac Jones's Patriots, whoever it is, you never know. So, you know, keep the rivalry intact because it's always a good thing. But now it's just this new era of Jets Patriots that I think can spark for years to come. I think this is going to be, in terms of the rivalry, an opening game to what we're going to see between these two teams five or so years down the line. It won't make up for everything that went down during the Brady-Belichick era, but it's, this would be a great place to start establishing who is about to be the premier, one of the premier players in the AFC East. So we'll see how that unfolds on Sunday. But just like any other week in New York football, there are multiple teams coming out on top. And the Giants, once again, win. They win 23-17 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. And this was a game, it's not often that like I look at Vegas and I'm just like with an eyebrow up, like what are they thinking? And, and Jacksonville came in here as the favorite. And I'm thinking to myself, the Giants keep pulling out wins. The Jaguars have been sputtering. Why Why would the, the Giants not be favored here? And and, and the Giants they just did what they did. They keep, they keep they, They've mastered the close win. They're not going to get their doors blown off. They're not going to blow your doors off. But when it gets close and it gets late, they they just manage. And, and it seems like Daniel Jones specifically is a guy that is, is coming on really strong here. And it's the running that I think has really opened up his game. I mean, it started, we all knew Daniel Jones was mobile. That that was always a part of his game, and, and he would find his way in whatever, a, a pass rush, he'd scramble, evade a sack, get a good a, 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 a nice rush here or there. We obviously remember from a couple of years ago that massive run down the middle where he ends up falling just out of nowhere. But the Giants are seeming, he's being schemed more now to use his legs and to run. And it's it's been extremely effective. I mean, this past week, Daniel Jones on the ground, 107 yards on a touchdown. And that goes with exactly what we've seen him do game in, game out this year, which is play efficient, mistake-free football, 19-30 with 200 yards and a touchdown, no picks. So if you're just going to be a solid quarterback that's going to take advantage of your opportunities and not and not force it, not try to make the, the game-winning play, but then have that dynamic ability on your legs, that, that's going to work, and it is working. And, and it's actually making him pretty difficult to stop when now that you eliminate the, the boneheaded play is seemingly becoming less and less a part of his repertoire. And now he's able to use his legs to keep you off balance. It's working. And and Daniel Jones, I mean, we said, we've been bringing it up the last couple of weeks now, but like you're at this point now, you're six and one. 
you're not getting a top five pick. The Giants' schedule is not getting any harder. I, I mean, th- there is serious 10-win potential on this team, and you're not going to have the draft capital to go get your next guy. There's not a free agent that's out there that's, that you think is just this undeniable upgrade from Daniel Jones. We thought Saquon was going to get this franchise tag because I, I think it still might be a little stretch to think that you're working on a multi-year extension with Daniel Jones. Is, is Danny Dimes the perfect franchise tag candidate at this point? And the Giants run him out for another year and see what – maybe they just have something. Absolutely. I mean, that's the right thing you have to do. Look, they're six and one. It's hard not to say this team's a playoff team. I know the Eagles are playing really good football, but it's hard not to say that the six and one New York football giants are not a playoff team. NFC offensive player of the week was Daniel Jones. And when you have Daniel Jones and Saquon each rushing for over a hundred yards, you trouble. I mean, you, you are, you're a deadly offense. Now, you've started to see a lot more passion out of Daniel Jones because you said it, the king of winning the close game. That game was a lot closer than it should have been. In fact, it was about a half yard and a catch away from the Giants losing the game. Ended right on the one. It was yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> Inside the one. It was crazy. Is, is that not the Giants <laughs> this year, though? Is yeah. that not it? Like, the football is inches away from resulting in a loss, and somehow the Giants have the fortitude and the wherewithal to keep that football out of the end zone and pull out another win. Like that is the giants in a play. It's crazy. And, and, and just what they're doing it with too. You look at their wide receiver core. Like we keep mentioning, you know, it's Wandale Robinson and, and that's it. Giants have some key injuries, which we'll touch on in a, in a couple minutes, but you know, you've started to see some passion out of Daniel Jones this week. Like it was a fourth down play in the second half. And I think Wandale dropped the ball. It was a great throw, a little slant in the red zone. And Daniel Jones was seen on camera, you know, visibly verbally saying we got to catch the football there is along the lines of that you know we started to see some frustration out of him it was a perfect pass but i think that's a good thing you know he now has those reins to hold his receivers accountable especially when he's throwing dimes like he is this year i i think seeing the passion out of him is great i think he's got all the confidence in the world now to be an all elite quarterback and you know i do think at this point has daniel jones to you I was going over this with a couple of buddies the other day. Has he cracked the the top 15 QB ranking uh, in the NFL, if you're mind? I think he's close. He, I, he could be right inside, but, I mean, the way he's playing right now, he's he's no game manager. I mean, this is legit what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, that top 15, I mean, I'd obviously have to look right there and, and real fast. Like, I guess we'll just do this really fast. Guys that are undeniably better, where you don't even have to have the conversation. You got Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow. Um, Let's keep looking here. Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert. You'd have to say Kyler Murray. You'd have to Matt Derek Stafford. Carr in there. Derek Carr. Maybe. We'll put Derek Carr on there. Aaron Rodgers, you'd still take. I mean, you go through here. Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts is 11. You'd probably take Kirk Cousins. I mean, it's a year. I mean, now this is a conversation I was literally having the other day, too. Quarterback play in the NFL is just, is just down. Yeah. I mean, as a whole, I mean, you have this slew of older guys that have sort of fallen off with Brady and Matt Ryan and, and Rogers. And then you have these, this crop of young quarterbacks that have really just sort of struggled or, or not done much with the Zach Wilson's, the Mac Jones is the Justin Fields. It's sort it's sort of like Jones is in that, that middle range of like guys that have been in the league a little bit, but you don't like, you're sort of on the fence about what they are. And and, and I guess now the more you actually look at it, like, like J- Jones is for, for play from this on a this year basis. I, I think there might be, there might be a case there. 
he was good enough for me to pick him up in fantasy this week with the homes on by. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, he's playing really good football. But just want to touch real quick on the injuries and then some Giants news that happened earlier today. Um, so Daniel Bellinger basically gets his eye poked out. So he's having surgery. He's going to be out. They don't think it's season ending, but I mean, it's that's a scary injury. You, you don't know. Uh, Evan Neal will be out for the season. That is a um, a torn MCL, I believe. So he's going to be out. And, you know, the criticism always over the years has been the Giants offensive line. And, and Andrew Thomas has really stepped up this year in a big way. And, you know, we'll see how the Giants supplement, um, bring in a different piece there. I think they shouldn't have an issue, but Evan Neal is a big part of that offensive line. Um, but again, the way, you know, the coaching staff has worked, it seems like whoever you insert in has, has worked. Now a guy who hadn't been inserted in much is on his way out the door as of this morning. And that is, uh, Kadarius Tony. And I think I give credit to the giants front office here because I know it was a third round and a sixth round, but you trade an unmotivated, unwanted, didn't care guy in Kadarius Tony, you ship him off to the Chiefs and you get a third and a sixth for him. I, I think that's probably the most you could have gotten for the guy. I mean, he's a guy who I would trade for a dollar if it was if it was up to me. So good on the Giants brass for doing that. You know, KT, I hope he could figure it out because it's kind of unfortunate what's gone on with him. But clearly he was just unmotivated to be to, you know, get out of his head and be part of this team. And who knows what he's got going on. But, you know, wish him all the best. And obviously a guy who probably had a lot of hype coming into the year is now uh, wearing a new uniform. So just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, the Kadarius Tony trade. Uh, I mean, like, like just to, like, I guess the context on it, he's the 20th overall pick by the Giants. And he comes out here and he has a little bit of injury concerns during his career. When he's on the field and the ball's in his hands, he he's as on he's as hard to tackle as anyone. He's dynamic and ex very explosive. So there's you're balancing those the can he stay on the field concerns with the when he is on the field he's he's a huge playmaker. And this is now just boiled up in, into this year where the Giants say he's been out with an injury and and he's claiming that he's not hurt. So that that sort of makes you. I mean, at this point, Tony's given me no reason to really trust what he says. We've seen the the off the field stuff that has gone on with him and just he, he's just sort of been a difficult guy for the Giants organization that they've taken him. But I think a third and sixth round compensation for KT is probably what both sides are looking for. If you're the Giants, recoup some draft capital for a guy that really has never, never been a steady force in the organization. He's always been a troublemaker and is a guy that was not taken by this Joe Shane regime. So they really have no connection to him. And if you're Kansas City, it's a it's a first round talent level playmaker for third a third and a sixth. You're getting a guy that had a first round draft pedigree into an offense that has obviously has Patrick Mahomes. And you, you would you would like to think you get Tony. This is now this is not a knock on the Giants, but you get Tony into now here a championship caliber organization like the Chiefs, and you give him a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, I would think that only helps his situation. And it's interesting because the the Chiefs already, their receiving core is very Kadarius Tony-esque with guys like Michael Hardman and Sky Moore. They're already the smaller gadgety receivers but if the jet if the giants excuse me are willing to give up i mean a third and a six it's, it's obviously not the first round that he was taking him but like that's significant enough capital to think that they have plans on incorporating him in the offense right away so that from the kansas city side it totally makes sense and from the giants i'd, I'd have to think that wandell robinson is a big reason why they felt comfortable making this trade the pick of robinson in the second round this year i thought was a questionable one because at the end of the day, you still had Kenny Gallaudet under contract, and you just took Kadarius Tony the year prior, 
and Tony and Robinson profile extremely similarly. And now we sort of see how they, the Giants, obviously, this new regime had probably had no real long-term plans with Tony, and they wanted Robinson to be right there in the organization, ready to go. And and Robinson has looked good since returning from injury. He's been heavily involved in the offense. He's been one of their most targeted pass catchers, and especially now with Daniel Bellinger out for uh, on for the foreseeable future, we Robinson is going to have to step up even further. And, and he's honestly looked good. He's him and Jones have seemed to have a good a good little rhythm there. So I think it's a, it's the perfect combination of the Giants cut their losses. They feel good about Wando Robinson. The Chiefs get a first-round talent at third-round price, and they, they they could use some weapons out there. I think it, that probably a little bit on their side shows that, they're, that their rookie receiver, Sky Moore, is probably not ready to take on the workload for a win-now Kansas City team. But this is a trade. I, I really see it. I see it on both sides. I think both teams got what they need out of this deal. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. So now you go into this stretch where, you know, I do think that the Jacksonville game was obviously should have been an easy win for the Giants. It wasn't as easy as it seemed on the score sheet. But now you go into this stretch where you have Seattle on the road starting Sunday, and then you have two at home against Houston and Detroit before playing Dallas. Now, if I'm the Giants, you know, these three games, you need to win all three. Not need to win all three, but you know what I mean? It's just one of those games where you feel like, all right, if this Giants team's legit, they need to put a thumping on Houston and Detroit. But let's focus on the Seahawks here. You know, it's a big game. Seattle is a hard place to play, as we know. Geno Smith is is somehow miraculously outside they him of off. New York. He didn't write back. Yeah, he just did he, not write back. Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, he's playing some really good football. So we'll see. I think it's two quarterbacks I think are very similar um, matching up here in this game. Uh, I think it will be a close one. And yeah, I, I think it'd be a good. I'd be it'd be another one of those wins where it'd be a good statement for the Giants. I mean, this is by no means an easy spot here. Seattle's playing good football on the road. Seattle, like you mentioned, is, is a is a great great atmosphere all the time, regardless of how good the Seahawks are. But the Seahawks, I mean, they have a really nice rookie class. They they have the corner, the rookie corner that's playing really well. Kenneth Walker has been looked really good since taking over the starting running back job. By the, no means is this an easy win, but you, you sort of got into what I wanted to do, which is we we obviously see the Giants' schedule is pretty favorable, and they've t- they capitalize early. But like, I don't see where they really like trip up and 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 Daniel Jones fashion fall on their face here. You mentioned it back to back home games against the Texans and Lions. Then you go at Dallas, host Washington, host the Eagles. Then you play at Washington, at Minnesota, host the Colts, who now have totally benched Matt Ryan for the season. They're rolling with Sam Ellinger. And then you finish the year at Philly. I mean, obviously, besides the, the Eagles and Cowboys, which are probably the two teams that are the class of the NFC, every one of those games is totally winnable. Like, at this point, I think you have to take the context in the play, which is that the Giants are 6-1 and one, and their future schedule. This Giants team should be in the playoffs. That 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 is a fair expectation now. Where so with the Jets, as much as the Jets have been doing great things, their injuries were more significant in a deeper conference with a tougher resting remaining schedule, the Giants sort of have it all laid out there for them to to make to make the postseason. Yeah, and, and and yeah, I'm not like if they lost this week, like I'm not gonna lose my mind over one loss at this point. They've given the benefit of the doubt. Where if they if they trip up here in Seattle, which I think is definitely possible, you then after come they go into a bye week and have a perfect chance to stomp two teams that should be both picking in the top five in Houston and Detroit. So I think the future is projecting pretty solid for the Giants, regardless of of this week might being a one of their toughest tests as crazy as that is. 
it's a lock for right now to say that this Giants team should be a postseason team. That's the expectation right now, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair to say. And and you sit there now with the Giants. They're both currently, as of today, they're slated as the number five seeds in their conference. It's 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 remarkable that they that where they're both at right now. But it's it's now time they're going to both face some adversity. The Jets more so than the Giants, but it, it's we'll, we'll see now the the medal of these teams and who's really going to who's going to step up and for the Jets that be Zach Wilson and for the Giants I guess you would have to say that's going to be the pass catching is it going to be Wando Robinson is it Darius Slayton I know the tight end room is pretty depleted behind Bellinger we'll see but there's a obviously a lot of positive vibes around both these teams right now and we'll keep a close eye on them in this upcoming week and with that said we have now we're, we're now what roughly a week into the basketball season a little bit more than a week and the early returns on the Knicks and Nets could not be more different. The The New York Knicks, as of today, currently sit at three and one with the Brooklyn Nets at the opposite of one and three. The Nets are at halftime right now at home against the Mavericks. They're down two at half. Katie and Kyrie with 14 and 12 respectively going into the half here. But we're, we're talking about vibes with just great vibes in New York football. There's vibes on one side of the New York basketball scene right now, and that would be the New York Knicks. The Knicks are three and one. And although they're, the opponents they've played have not been the most stout, they're 3-1. Their three wins come across the Charlotte Hornets, the Orlando Magic, and the Detroit Pistons. But their games that when you actually watch them in full, they're games that they just simply would not have won last year. And let's start with what we've seen out of their, their, their three, you call them best, their most impactful, their most notable players, whatever you want to call it. That being Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, and R.J. Barrett. And let's start with the person that is left the strongest impression of the three, and that being Jalen Brunson. He comes in here after the Knicks fail to get Donovan Mitchell. He signs a contract that many people consider to be an overpay. And he has brought such a steady, calming presence to this Knicks offense. It is This is what it feels like, Harris, to have a real point guard in the modern NBA. To have a guy that could, get, that could create his own shot, both in the paint and on the outside. A guy that could push the pace, that could find the open guy. It has been a true joy to watch what Jalen Brunson's done. And 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 yesterday was, it was like, oh, you thought me just facilitating well and not turning the ball over. You thought that was good? Let me come out and put on an absolutely massive performance in the Knicks overtime win against the Hornets. How about 27 points, 13 assists, and 7 rebounds? I mean, he was all over the place, especially in overtime. Big basket after big basket. And what's so What's so special about Brunson is he has to work for everything. He doesn't have the athleticism of the John Morant or, or the or the skills of Luca. He has to work with 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 limited with, with a limited arsenal, and he just I mean he he has to work so hard for his buckets. I mean, there's a video out there of him hesitation into a spin move, a one leg fadeaway off the glass. I mean, Brunson just he has quite the bag, and it's been really nice to see Brunson get out to a really hot start because I think he's a guy that the criticism would have came on heavy. If it didn't start, it would have been a lot of, we told you so should have sold out for Donovan and for Brunson to come out and sort of silence these haters right away. He's not turning the ball over. He's putting the ball in the basket. He's finding open teammates. He's been everything and more that you could hope so far from their premier free agent signing. So we talked about it last episode, the revolving door that is the point guard position for the New York Knicks over the last 10, 12 years or so. It's a good start. It's definitely a good start for Jalen Brunson. You could feel the energy, especially in last night's game. 27 and 13 is unreal. It doesn't matter what the opponent, who the opponent is. It's a really good start. He's got some nice pieces around him. And if you finally have a point guard 
who has the ability to take over a basketball game. And who knows when the last time that's happened. But you have multiple guys on this team who can now take over a game if you need them to. If Julius Randle can return to his old self from a couple years ago, he could take over a game. We know R.J. Barrett could take over a game. So you have those duos right there. We talked about duos a lot and, and big threes. You know, if the Knicks can put these three pieces together and, and have a really strong point guard in Jalen Brunson, I mean, this is something that the Knicks have waited for for a while. It's it's a great sign to see. So you hope that he can keep it up. You know, obviously, R.J. has played, you know, R.J.-style basketball. And on defense, Mitchell Robinson had six blocks last night. I think that's something that needed to be mentioned as well. So, you know, he tweeted it out, I think, this morning. Big block party at the Garden. Who doesn't love the good atmosphere at the Garden? And I think that just draws the best out of guys like Jalen Brutson. He's not this Donovan Mitchell where, oh, you know, you you shell out a bag of, of, of goods for him. This is a guy who got signed and, you know, the expectations were high because of the contract and he's kind of this under the radar. He ain't no Donovan Mitchell, but he just goes out there and performs. And, you know, he clearly... I think was able to feed off the garden crowd last night. I thought it was great to see. So yeah, you know, the Knicks are off to a really good start. And I think finally, at least for now, again, it's four games in, but there is at least some stability at the point guard spot. No, that's undeniable. But right now I'd say if you had to pick a guy that that's underwhelmed a little bit and you're like, I'll set the tone here. I am as big of an RJ Barrett fan as there is. I've been in on RJ since day one, but he has been again, four game sample. He's been pretty disappointing so far. Now, if you just looked at the stats, you would say, okay, maybe he hasn't been playing great, but but eight, roughly 18 points and six rebounds a night, that's not too bad. But it's the shooting percentages that you really pick up on when you're watching the full game because he is, as of right now, he's currently sporting just a 37% field goal percentage and shooting just a, I mean, an atrocious 14% from three. And, and it's clear. I mean, teams are starting to let him, they're not contesting heavy on the three-point ball, but for me, it's what... What makes RJ such a good player? It's when he's attacking the rim with the reckless abandon. We've seen him just put his head down, and it doesn't matter who's standing in the paint. When RJ has it going, it is him attacking the rim and finishing through contact. And right now, it's just like even on the plays where he's sort of like he make he makes the move that we're accustomed to. He gets to his spot, and then even contested or not, like he's sort of just clanking some of these layups, and it's it's just a little odd to see for a guy that we've seen improve so much around the basket since his rookie year to now. And it's, it's like he lost his feel. Like his touch has just been totally wiped away to start this season. Like he get, like just seeing him with both the left and the right, just like get, get to his spot and then just totally botch it in the paint. It's just, it's just a little startling to see because that's the one thing that RJ's always given you. It's when he attacks the rim, that is when he's at his best. And right now he's, he's, he's trying. It's just the ball is not going in the hoop. So like, I think we definitely need to see that more out of RJ. Now, one of the, the, bright sides about RJ is no matter how no matter what's going on the offensive side of the ball he's always a max intensity defense guy you put him and and the Knicks have really been I'd say this year more than ever have been increasing his responsibilities on the defensive end he said it he takes pride in going out there and guarding the best player on the other team every night and and the Knicks are doing that is that having a negative effect on his offense is he exuding too much too much energy on the defensive side of the ball that is affecting him offensively I guess only he knows that but as a viewer, I can only go off what I see, and that is right now he is struggling offensively. And it's it's obviously we're nowhere near getting worried yet, but coming off of that huge, coming off the way he ended last year on a scoring bonanza and now getting that big contract extension, you were sort of hoping you'd get a little bit more in the early part of the season, but 
I'd say right now RJ is it, it's it's a cold start, but we're obviously nowhere near getting worried yet. Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's a little unreasonable to get too worried over RJ Barrett. It's four games, uh, you know. Let the guy settle in a little bit. Things are a little new, and that's okay. So, you know, there's that with RJ Barrett. I don't think the Knicks have an issue with that yet. Is it a cause for concern? I mean, maybe a little bit, but the Knicks are winning. You know, they're, they're three and one. But if you want to beat these harder teams, like you said, the schedule's been easy. You're going to need R.J. Barrett to step it up a little bit in the shooting department. And, you know, hopefully there's some guys on the bench that give you the compliment. And if he's not there to go, and if not, look, he needs to step it up because he's R.J. Barrett. They picked him high in the draft for a reason. So, you know, no sign for worry yet. But, you know, the Knicks are on a high right now compared to the other team in New York. So, yeah, you know, I, I think RJ definitely will step it up at some point. I think it's just a matter of time. I, I would agree. Now, though, before we move on, you mentioned you started transitioning into the Nets. There is one more guy that, that needs to go to due diligence, and that is Julius Randle. We have been on the roller coaster as Knicks fans watching Julius Randle. He, two years ago, he's the most improved player, basically carries the Knicks to the playoffs. Last year, the wheels fall off, and he reverts to his previous form, which was a little more self-centered. And low, low effort. And that drove Knicks fans nuts. It was, it hurt seeing Randall go from a guy with his name being chanted MVP into the garden to being booed off the court most nights. And I think what we've seen out of Randall is a rejuvenated, humbled player that is taking pride in, in regaining that status as a team guy. We, there's obviously, well, I'm sure all the swirls of the potential trades was, I'm, I'm sure he was aware of that. And he's a guy that genuinely seems like he loves being in New York and representing the Knicks. So he probably had a little chip on his shoulder this offseason. And I feel like we're seeing a Randall that is playing smarter, that is playing harder, and that is playing more team-oriented basketball. The These ISOs where his head just goes into another universe and that ball is going at the rim no matter what, it's not happening anymore. He's doing what makes him so good, which is the fact that he could go off the dribble and score both on the bounce and find his teammates. And we're seeing that. We're seeing the effort on the defensive side. And, and last night specifically, like, there were multiple times they just cut Julius Randle, which is a huge smile on his face. I mean, this is a guy last year that we saw after Knicks wins would not have a smile on his face. And that really spoke volumes about how he viewed himself versus he viewed the team. And now we see Randle, you know what, whether it's him or someone on the team that, that makes a mistake, pick each other up. We're going to go get it, like, next play. And it's it's all those things that are adding up to make me feel better about the way Randall is playing with him. It's always been a combination of the the mental and the physical. We saw it when it's going its best. He was all NBA second team. That's that's a top ten player in the NBA on a given year. Like he has the potential, and we've seen it. He he hits those tough contested off the dribble mid range twos when he gets to the especially to his left. He's nearly unstoppable going to the rim, and 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 he has the ability to be a good defender. And and of course he he affects the game on the glass too. We see him going out there and making an effort to rebound. So when he's in that right headspace as well that's when it all clicks and and it's been a very pleasing start similar to rj i'm not going to buy into his woes as what i'm going to get and i'm also not going to be totally sold on the randall highs yet but it's it's definitely a good start for randall because again he's a guy that if it started bad i mean brunson's one thing the garden would have been eating him alive if he had another bad start to the season here because then it would just be like we don't we don't want you around anymore but he's giving the fans a reason to take a step back understand what they have here and if you could get back that all-star version of Julius with a step from RJ and now with Jalen Brunson, we're talking. Yeah. I mean, two years ago was so fun because Julius Randall just electrified the garden. It was great to see. And I think last year was more, we kind of saw Julius Randall 
I guess he kind of brought it upon himself to just be an MVP when really all he had to do was just be himself. Julius Randle was so good that year, two years ago, because he was just being himself. He just happened to be putting up insane numbers. I think this year the pressure's off a little bit. You have some guys around him. You know, there's something to play for other than Julius Randle is not playing for Julius Randle. Julius Randle is playing for all the guys in that room and Tom Thibodeau who, you know, seemed like it was on the fence whether he was staying or going at the end of the year. So I think the fact that this team's back, the core of the team is back together. They they added a couple guys. I think motivates Julius to the point where, you know, he clearly likes playing for this core and Tibbs. You know, stop playing for yourself and go play for those guys in the room. Uh, and, you know, clearly that attitude shown off here early. And that's the big thing with the Knicks. The Knicks are, are an identity team now. They're not this team that's going to go buy – they're not going to go buy a win winning championship team. They're going to find guys. They're going to pluck them out of places where nobody kind of expected them. And, you know, they're going to put these guys together and say, Hey, this is New York Knicks basketball buy in or get out. And that's what Julius Randall's now seems to bar into again here this year. And it's a good sign to see. And that's with any good basketball team, because we mentioned that just the big powerhouses in the NBA and all these selfish NBA basketball players, the Knicks have none of that. And it seemed like Julius, was turning into that last year. And to start, he's kind of reverted back into his old self. And it's great to see. I love the Knicks identity. And I love how this team has just really embraced playing at the Garden like any New York Knicks player should. That That's exactly my last point I was going to hit on before we move on to the Nets. They, you mentioned identity. And what more identity is there with the New York Knicks and Madison Square Garden? And their three wins this year have all been at home. And it was something that RJ mentioned, defending the Garden. I mean, this is the. I mean, you can say what you want. That the 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 luster has went away over time. This is still the mecca of basketball. This is still New York City, New York City hoops. And we want, as Knicks fans, you know, we've seen it year in year out. When when the times are bad, we're there. But when the times are good, like we saw in twenty twenty, we're there. And then some. It is. It's. It's. I mean, the the streets in New York City are ravaged by Knicks fans. I mean, we we saw it. It was special. And for them to start out this year and, and rattle off three straight wins at home, I think if they could just embrace this, like. You're not going to walk into MSG and and mess with us type attitude. I think that is like you said an identity that Knicks can really benefit from. And that's what we when they were when they were at the, when they're at their best as a franchise really. They they're a strong home team and I think seeing the, the the early positive play at home is a good sign for the Knicks and their fans cuz we're going to be there to support this team. That that'll never change and I think that's been proven over the years. So definitely nice to see the start to the home season. And there is Harris was referencing it before. There is some New York basketball that is not feeling this positive right now. And that would be the Brooklyn Nets. I, I think we made it clear in our analysis of the Nets. There is an endless amount of outcomes that this is go for the Nets season. And it has not been a good one to start. They are one and three. They obviously, the last time we recorded, you guys knew that they got absolutely blitzed on opening night by the New Orleans Pelicans. And since then, they've dropped two out of three. They just recently, as yesterday, they blew a huge lead to Giannis Antetokounmpo in the Milwaukee Bucks. And this was not the start that they needed, especially coming off this just absolutely wild offseason. And the first thing I think of is, uh, it almost feels like we're on Steve Nash-fired countdown. Like, how many I mean, how many more losses do you give Steve Nash before he was this job? Yesterday, he gets ejected in a fashion that I've never seen in, my, in, my, in the head coaching career of Steve Nash. He is normally, under every circumstance, calm and composed no matter how justified or unjustified. And yesterday it was like, I mean, I mean, it was like, it was like someone spitting his, his food. I mean, he absolutely lost his mind on the net sideline. 
getting ejected for the first time in his coaching career. I mean, it was startling to see Nash react that way because he's usually so the opposite. But I think he's got to be feeling the pressure. He already knows that KD is more than happy to to move on without him as the head coach. And a, a slow start is not helping his case. They just look miserable. Have you seen any of the shots? Uh, if you have watched any of the morning talk shows of Stephen A or any of that, and now I just watch them on Twitter. But, I mean, they just look so miserable. And Ben Simmons is just the most passive point guard, most passive player I think I've ever seen. I saw some stat on the TV this morning. I think he's got 20 points on just 21 field goal attempts in four games. Just process that for a second. I've never seen a guy more passive in the paint too, especially where like, you know, anybody, even if you're a point guard, go to work, get greasy, do something. Just dishes the ball off. Just like, what are we doing here? Yesterday, the or Kyrie drops it off to him in the paint and he dishes it back out and you hear Kyrie go shoot Ben. Yeah. Like it's, he's, he's, he has stage fright when he has the ball in his hands. It's, it's, it's like a fifth grader going to give a Ted talk for the first time. It's just, un, it's just, you get too nervous. It's not possible. I've never seen anything like it. It's it's like, I don't even know what to compare it to. It's bad. It's just outright bad basketball. And now the funny thing is we picked apart Ben Simmons all the time for his lack of point scoring on the Sixers. I think now that there's a even brighter spot on him, now that he's in New York, <laughs> his game is just getting picked apart even more. And I think it's brilliant, to be honest with you. I think this is something that has been needed to, needed to be done for a while. I mean, this guy is just not – you know, he's got skill. Great. But where's the points coming from? Jalen Brunson gives you 13 assists and 27 points. A nice even game out of a really good point – out of a really good performance out of a nice point guard. Where's your point scoring? It's not like Ben Simmons is doing anything outrageous in the assist department too. I think all of his stats last night were all in single figures. I think it was like 5, 8, 9. I don't remember what order they were in in certain stats, but it's it's brutal. And they all look miserable. Like after that game against Milwaukee, they're just sitting there, Kyrie and KD, just miserable on the bench. I mean, like I said at the beginning, I mean, this is a, the ultimate boys club. There's something going on in there that one of them doesn't like, and they need to speak up because that's what they're paying these guys for. It's unfortunate to see this right now. And, you know, like we said with the Knicks, it's early. It's it's four-game sample size. Again, with the Nets, it's a four-game sample size. But there's just so much that can go wrong with this Nets team that it, it, something needs to get done about it as soon as there's an issue. It's, 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 it's awful to watch. I mean, it's only right that we at least acknowledge the fact that Ben is basically not played basketball in a year and a half in a, in a NBA environment. But it, it's just... I mean, it's bizarre to see just a guy that is like that. It's especially startling because this is a guy that in his previous years has been really solid. With the, I mean, he's never been this 30 point a night guy, but like he was always a threat to give you 20. I mean, there was that one signature game from a couple of years ago where Joel Embiid was out and they were playing the Jazz. And I think he dropped like 40 on Rudy Gobert, one of the best defenders in the NBA. And I was like, oh, like, okay, Ben, like make a statement there. Like, 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 like you should be getting more love out in Philly. And that that feels like a decade ago now. Like he he's been such a non-factor offensively for what seems like the the recent memory of him being active on the basketball court, whether that be his late stages of Philly and now early with Brooklyn. There's that. He's he's fouling a lot. 
again, he, he's going to get back into the swing things defensively, but I, I think he's fouled out of a couple games now already. And he was supposed to be the third piece to this big three in Brooklyn. Now that obviously they don't have James Harden anymore. They were still hoping that this could be a, a somewhat of a big three, but in a different way where Katie and Kyrie can handle a lot of the scoring and Ben can take more of a defensive and facilitating role. Ben has just really not, again, I'll reiterate, four games, but it's not been pretty early. And th- this is a guy that we, we talk about with some of the Knicks getting a rough start and how that would affect the, the MSG crowd. The na- the national spotlights on Ben. I mean, what player is being looked under a tighter microscope than Ben Simmons at this Ben Simmons at this point? We've been waiting for this. After he he I mean, it went viral when he passed up that shot in that 76er playoff game, that drop off, and he looks at the rim and just dishes it off. Since then, it's like we've been waiting for the next chance to just totally rip on him. And after a year, he's back and he's nothing's changed and he's justifiably getting ripped. I mean, it's a tough look right now. Katie and Kyrie, they're doing what they do. Like they're going to keep scoring. Like that's not going to change. Like, like that's going to be pretty consistent. But if you're not getting what you need out of the rest of the team, and especially Ben, who is supposed to be the third best player on this team, it's it's not going to work because as we've seen in some previous games, this year, Katie and Kyrie, they combine for their whatever. They give you their 60. But then you're going to have to win, score 110, 120 points to win an NBA game. Where's the other 60 coming from? And right now, it's just that that's the question. Like, unless Katie and Kyrie are just going to go absolute demon mode and do what LeBron LeBron and Kyrie did in finals games, which is put up 40 apiece, then then it becomes more manageable. But I just don't see where they're going to, how the supporting cast is really going to, is going to step up enough here to to make up for, to, to help Kyrie and KD do what they got to do. Two players can only do so much, Brandon. It's, we see it. The Knicks, again, like I'll compare it. They have those guys. Like Mitchell Robinson gets it done on defense. We didn't even mention him in the offensive part of the game for, for the Knicks. Not that he was much of a factor there, but still Mitchell Robinson's going to be a stout defender. Who on the Nets is that guy? Right? You know, Nick Claxton? Like, where, where's it coming from? It's nice that it's Joe Harris... It's supposed Harris, to be Ben Simmons. Right. It's, it's apparently supposed to be Ben Simmons. It's nice that Joe Harris is back, but I don't think he's shown you anything. And now I, I just think... For me, this ultimate boys club of the Brooklyn Nets is kind of coming crashing down to what I really thought it was going to end up being two years ago. When it's like you can only ride this high for so long with all these guys plucking guys that are that are superstars and even superstars out of their prime. And you're getting guys who are just really soft. Like Ben Simmons is just, and again, year and a half without playing basketball, I understand. But Ben Simmons has displayed himself as one of the softest players, if not the softest player in the league, for not playing in the playoffs last year. And now looking at the rim and getting scared of it like he's looking at a Halloween costume. What are we doing here? It's just, it's, it's, I don't even know what to say anymore. It's mind-boggling that now you have, you, you fell into this trap of buying all these superstars. One guy has a problem, James Harden. One guy has a problem and it all comes apart because now you got desperate and got Ben Simmons. And now look where you are right now. This is one of those things where again, small sample size, but I don't see it changing. I really don't. That's that's, I can't blame you. I considering what we've, what we've now, what we've seen between the way the next season ended last year and the way this one started, where why should I have blind faith that they're going to turn it around? It's like, I mean, this is a way worse example, but I mean, the Lakers, I, I can only refer back to the 2020 season so much considering the only guys that are 
still a part of that team is LeBron and AD. Everything else has changed. And that that is where the problem lies. The Lakers are still don't have a win yet. And th- I mean, I put them in my eight seed as a pure respect to LeBron. But I mean, this this team's gonna miss the play-in entirely. Like this is gonna be I, I mean, I would say bright side, they can get in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. Well, guess what? They don't have their first round pick, the Pelicans do. So that I mean, we're talking about trouble in paradise with the Nats. The Lakers are a whole nother level here. The fact that they still have their 27 and 29 first round picks and have not shopped them to Indiana for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald is criminal because every game that you waste while you have LeBron James, I was going to say in his prime, he's obviously not in his prime anymore. While you have an active LeBron James is, is a disgrace. You should be trying to win every single second that you have LeBron James on your team in his career. And with guys like Heald and Turner, two things that they need the most, which is a rim-protecting center and a three-point sniper, Heald and Turner would make perfect sense for that Lakers team. I had to go off on that little tangent there. No, you're 100% right because it's something I did want to bring up as well. You can't uh, not just Lakers. talk about the Lakers being a total catastrophe again. Like, yeah. It's crazy. It's something that Stephen A. Smith said this morning, and I was thinking about it, thought it was a little crazy, determined, determining based on the fact that LeBron James makes a boatload of money. But... You know, the Lakers, let's just admit it. They're just not that good. It, it, it's it's true. They're just not that good of a basketball team, no matter with LeBron or AD. So what do you do here? Are you going to really just sit there and waste LeBron? Or, and this could call me crazy, but do you try and get someone to move him and just say, okay, if you're Jeannie Buss, you're like, okay, we got our championship with LeBron. This Lakers team is not that good. LeBron's not getting any younger. Let's just restart this thing. There, there's a 0% chance they trade LeBron. He just I'm signed another. I'm not saying right now. I know he signed another massive It'll never deal, happen. But it, It'll it, never it, happen. He's, but it's crazy. The Lakers are just not Jeannie that good. Genie Bus loves him. He is. He wants to be in LA. Now, if you're going to start pitching me on maybe it's, it's AD's time to switch it up, I'm listening. I, I think that could be interesting. But at the end of the day, they've, they've obviously, it seems like they're sitting down Russell Westbrook at this point because he is, he might be the worst player in the Dreadful. NBA right now. Dreadful. It, 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 he is. I think him, him and ben, ben Simmons him and ben might be the Simmons. biggest disappointments, oh I think, in the NBA goodness. right now over the last couple of years, I guess. And Ben Simmons has been hurt, and he still said as a disappointment. But but you look at the, the Lakers rotation. You got LeBron and E.D. The, the, the roster is with Lonnie Walker, Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, Juan Toscano Anderson. Matt Ryan, not the quarterback. Austin Reeves. I mean, this is, I mean, that that's what you've surrounded LeBron James and Anthony Davis with. It's dreadful. They have no chance. They're 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 dead in the water until they make a move. And I think Indiana's the move. Yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. And maybe tr- the whole LeBron talk I just had to be way out of left field. And it is. It spice things up a little bit. But you know what? the Lakers have to find a way to surround LeBron with somebody. Cause you look at that 2020 Lakers team. That team was deep. That was a right. deep Lakers team. There is no depth on this Lakers team. I mean, you're telling me that Austin Reeves who had this little flash in the pan last year is going to be one of your go-to guys off the bench. Crazy. What a novel concept. The 2020 Lakers surrounded LeBron James with shooting. Right. And since then, Oh, wait, where did all that shooting go? Where did Contavious Caldwell Pope go? Kyle Kuzma. What happened to those guys? Oh, right. They're all on the, the Wizards because that's where you, where you traded them for Russell Westbrook. So they they dug their own grave, and, and now they have to lie in it until they fix it, which I, I think is if you could attach Russ to those two future, future first-round picks, 
to bring in some guys that can help you now, I think that's the only way they get out of this. I mentioned Indiana's a spot. I think Utah is a team that will be more than willing to take on some salary to get some draft capital. They have guys, they have Michael Connolly, they have Jordan Clarkson that I think could be very valuable for a contender. There's teams out there that it could make sense for, but they got to act fast because, it, it, again, we, we keep saying how small the four-game sample size is, but when you're 0-4 and things are not looking any better, you want to act sooner than later. So it, I'm glad we got to touch on the Lakers because like that's like a – I mean, how do you not feel passionately about the just how they're botching this whole situation? But, but yeah, the – to, to get back to where we were, I think it's fair to say the Nets are on notice here where they sort of got to start turning around or Nash's job is going to be in jeopardy. And and yeah, that, that's really where where the Nets lie. They're they're in a close game right now with Dallas, tied up at 82 with a few minutes to go in the third. So this one's at home too. We'll see. I mean, you, you could get back here. You go to two and three. You drop to one and four, and things start to feel a lot different in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's a big game. And I just want to get one thing real quick. And, you know, we're all blue. We're both blue collar Long Island people, right? We love going to Madison Square Garden. The Barclays Center has not been a very welcoming place over the last couple of years, especially this year. And I think it's kind of crazy. I don't know if this is an organizational problem or what, but I just wanted to touch on this real quick because we love our arenas. Barclays Center raised their ticket prices. Nobody comes to games. I think they only sold out of a 17 plus thousand seat arena. I think only 6,000 seats are owned by season ticket holders. I mean, I just don't, th- I don't know what's going on with this Brooklyn Nets fan base, but they might be at a turmoil oil too with what's going on. I think the organization's just pride. It's just their pride and joy is KD and Kyrie just trying to splash these stu- superstars at everyone. So I get why Brooklyn Nets fans could be very frustrated. Whoever so, they are, if they yeah, all, whoever, all, if they're, all if they're seven there, of them, yeah, <laughs> if they're there, just to make sense to me, you know, it, that organizational structure is pretty piss poor. <laughs> just wanted to touch on that real quick. No, on totally understandable. Yeah, I, I, I think, I think the tens of Nets fans out there are going to be flooding your Twitter with their complaints. So. It's, I don't it's... care. Listen, I'll rant about Barclays Center all I want. You know it, Brent. You know how much you know how much I hate the Barclays Center, and it's not because the Islanders played there for three years. It's because I personally think Barclays Center is the most overrated arena in the entire league, and the fans don't show up. They do not show up. All twenty of them, ten, whatever <laughs> you want to call it, they're never there. They're never there. I'm sorry, but it's true. There has not been one game, even when you watch a playoff game, where you're like, "Wow, that fan, this Barclays Center, really rocking for the Nets tonight." But it always is for the Knicks because it's the Garden. I mean, there is no there is no passion in that Brooklyn Nets fan base. I'm sorry. It's true. Say it how it is. And I think with that, we will take it into our no playing picks segment. It was probably the most successful week in no playing picks history last week with us combining for five of six correct picks. Now, for me, it's unfortunate that the pick I missed was my three-pointer which did not help me in the standings. As of right now, currently Harris leads 21 to 17, but Harris nailed all three of his picks last week. The first perfect week of picking at Giants plus three, Jets plus one and a half, Bengals minus six and a half. I went two out of three of my picks with Cardinals minus two and a half on Thursday and Jets plus one and a half being my hits. And like I said, the Bucks did not come through for me. They also, it's it's come to an end, Harris. My survivor run is over. I thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers oh. in a bounce back spot would oh. beat PJ Walker and the Buccaneers and the Panthers without Christian McCaffrey. But what do I know? Because they got embarrassed and ended my run 
it was over 150 person pool. I was in the final 20. And like everything else in my life, Tom Brady takes yet another thing away from me. So thanks for that. But yeah, we move on. Week eight, halfway point, nearly the season. And we still have a lot of picks to make. And it's another, like I said, pivotal week. Harris pulls ahead with three points on me from nailing all three of his picks to my two. I want to get back into it right here. Harris, as the current leader, let's hear your picks. Yeah, and before I get into them, I was as confident as ever. I even put some actual money on the Giants, and it worked out pretty well. So I'm excited for uh, about that. Hopefully get excited about these picks. This was a little, you know, I like keeping it a little spicy, playing some some underdogs, but I think it was a little hard to do that this week coming up with some of the matchups. So for my three-point pick, I think it's an easy lock. The Philadelphia Eagles at minus 10.5 at home against the Steelers. Steelers are a wreck. We all know that. My two-point pick, I'm going to go with a team on the road here. The Dolphins at minus three and a half against the Lions. I think, you know, obviously Detroit has whatever offense they can, but the defense is just an absolute turnstile. And for my one-point pick, this is where we could get a little controversial here. I'm going to the London game. Let's go overseas and pick the Jacksonville Jaguars at minus two and a half sitting down Russell Wilson at his high knees in the back of the airplane (laughs) against the Denver Broncos. Because whatever story that was, was absolutely pathetic. So I am going to go. Those are my three picks. Brandon, let's see what you got. I I love the subtle jab at Russ doing high knees for four hours on the team flight to London. He just continues to be bizarre. Of all the ineptitude of the Denver Broncos, like that is just the perfect thing to become just a big meme of that season. But yeah, no, I solid picks all around there. We have one common in there, but I'll start with my three-point pick. And I, I've been conservative. I'm not trying to be too biased with my Jets fandom, and I've they they tend to be my one-point pick. I'm shooting them off this week. Three-point pick, Jets plus two and a half, hosting the Patriots. I th- there has got to be some something that I'm missing that makes Vegas think that the Patriots, that this version of the Patriots with the lackluster quarterback play, are going to go into MetLife and beat the Jets by more than a field goal. I guess I'm just by a field goal or more. I I, I don't see it. Regard I, Like the Jets have had their injuries, no doubt, but they're at home. They have momentum. They have a really good defense still. I, I'm going to put some faith in the Jets here and that they're really going to show what they're all about here. I just think that is more so of a disrespectful line than anything. And I, I'm going to take my chance here. It's my biggest swing with a New York team yet. And it's the New York Jets plus two and a half as my three-point pick. Two points we're thinking similarly. Dolphins minus three and a half. Obviously, you never like taking a road team, but this is to a second week back off injury. He should be able to be in a better rhythm, a better a better spot to produce. And they're going to Detroit. This is a team that has a lot of defensive deficiencies. And I would like to think that a Dolphins team in a better spot here with Tua back now, back in his flow, should, even though they're, they're on the road, they should be able to take care of a Lions team that I don't really see how they stop them. Now the Lions, they, they should be getting back DeAndre Swift this week. And if I'm on Ross St. Brows is good to go, they're going to be able to put up points themselves. But nevertheless, I think the Dolphins are just a way better team. So I'll roll with the talent and and the more the more proven club so far this year there. And then for my one-point pick, I feel like I've picked this team bizarrely a lot this year. But I'm going to go with the Minnesota Vikings at minus two and a half. I think the Vikings have been in a spot here. They're coming off the bye. So they're... They're rested and they're hosting the Arizona Cardinals who just had a win on Thursday night over the Saints where they had two pick sixes. 
that would have been a much closer game if that doesn't happen. And that was against Andy Dalton. So a win, a Thursday, a short week win against Andy Dalton where he had two defensive touchdowns. I'm not taking that with with too much moving forward. I, I sort of leave that as one whatever great occurrence that happened there. But the Vikings at home, I think, are just a way better team than the Cardinals. And I think that will show this Sunday. So those are our picks. It's 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 getting intense here. It 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 gets more important every week. Harris with a chance here. He has another strong week. He really could create some space. But as we've seen, all it takes is it could turn right back and we could be right back where we were last week in a in essentially a dead heap. So I think that is that's where we leave it with the no playing picks. And I think that's what we have for this episode. We broke down a lot, a lot, a lot of sports going on here in the New York area to be excited about. And and I hope if you followed us at Twitter on No Plain Views, you would realize I'm making an effort to be way more active on the Twitter. Today, I gave my immediate thoughts on the Kadarius-Tony trade. Last night, my immediate reactions to the next big overtime victory over the Hornets. Only more of that to come. So please give us a follow at No Plain Views on Twitter. Like, please share, rate, and review our podcast five stars on Apple and on Spotify. We, we got our episode out last week, but we are really excited to get this one out today on a Thursday. This will be coming out to you guys tomorrow. We want to get back on a cycle here of getting these out before the upcoming games on Sunday. And we want to keep these as timely and as, and as convenient for you guys as possible. So we appreciate the listens. We have a lot more coming up here. Big week for the Giants. Big week for the Jets. The Knicks look to keep the good times going. The Nets look to turn things around. And we will make sure to have that for you guys next week on No Plain Views. And with that, I am Brandon Mintz. And I'm Harris Eisenberg. It's getting really exciting here in New York sports. So join our New York bandwagon. And we'll be back for more the next time you listen to the No Plain Views podcast.